Hi everyone, this is David Barr-Kirtley, host of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show we'll be discussing my first book, a short story collection called Save Me Please and Other Stories, which is available now on Amazon.com. And that's Save Me Please with please spelled P-L-Z. As you'll hear in today's show, the book contains some really cool illustrations. Some of the sample copies I've received from Amazon have looked great, and others have had illustrations that are too dark or had lines running through them. I've contacted Amazon about this repeatedly, and at this point I feel like I've done all I can do. If you receive a copy of the book that you're not happy with, you should definitely return it to Amazon for a refund. This is only an issue with the paperback version of the book. There's also an ebook version, and there are no issues with that as far as I know. So again, the book is called Save Me Please and Other Stories by David Barkertley, and it's available now on Amazon.com. And you can learn more over at davidbarkertley.com. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 500 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. In this special bonus episode, we'll be discussing my first book, a short story collection called Save Me Please and Other Stories, which is available now on Amazon.com. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed Magazine and the series editor of the best American science fiction and fantasy. And he's also edited more than 30 other anthologies. His latest project is the three-volume dystopia triptych, Ignorance is Strength, Burn the Ashes, and Or Else the Light. So John, welcome back. Always good to be here. Happy 500. <laughs> the next up, we've got Tom Gerentzer making his 25th appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Galaxy's Edge and in books such as New Voices in Science Fiction. He's the author of the business book, Think Like Google, and the short story collection, Intergalactic Refrigerator Repairmen Seldom Carry Cash, and his popular science book, How It's Made, written for the Discovery Channel, will be out later this year. So Tom, welcome to the show. Happy to be back. And also joining us today is Zach Chapman, making his 12th appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in Nature, Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Steampunk Universe, and Writers of the Future. And he also edited the book Time Travel Tales, which includes stories by Catherine Wells, Sean Williams, and Robert Silverberg. So Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so as we're recording this, I have a draft of this book, which is, I think, pretty much final. And so I will be submitting that soon. And so I just sent it to all you guys. So, John, just uh, overall, what do you think of this book? How excited about <laughs> this are you? No, I mean, I'm I'm really excited, actually. You know, I mean, it's a, I, I always love it when an author uh, that I'm a fan of uh, has a collection out, finally, uh, in some cases where it's like sometimes it, it goes fast, sometimes it goes slow. Uh, for you, it's been a long time coming. So um, I'm really glad to have a place where people can get all your stories in one place. Um, and, uh, you know, looking through, over the table of contents and everything, it was like, man. A lot of these stories, I mean, I mean, basically all of the stories are like very memorable. Like, uh, it's like you gave us a little synopsis of each one, but I'm like, you know, it was almost not even necessary because it was like your stories are so distinct, uh, and that's that's pretty rare actually that I could like look through a table of contents and titles and be like, oh yeah, no, I know which one that is, you know, um, even for an author I know quite well. So, anyway, yeah, super excited yeah. about it. 
Yeah, so so I guess I'll explain that. So this book contains 20 stories and it's stuff that I published, you know, starting when I was in college and going up to the most recent things I've I've written, which are, you know, about 10 years ago now. So between the ages of sort of 21 and 33 is when I wrote all these stories. And you said, yeah, this has been a long time coming. I always sort of assumed that someone would give that that my stories were so great that at some <laughs> point somebody would be like, here's a hundred thousand dollars for your sure. book. That's usually what but, happens, yeah. But then, yeah, it's like I don't just write about fantasy worlds. I also <laughs> live in one. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so then it yeah then it had been about ten years and no one had had uh, made an offer like that. So uh, so I started uh, considering other options. And so then, but then there was this sort of precipitating event for this uh, collection, which involves Tom. So Tom, why don't you talk about what was your uh, what was your experience with your with your short story collection? Yeah, so very similar to you, Dave. Uh, and you know, we we kind of came up together. I guess we can talk about that later. Came up, came up to uh, to really not very high, but hmm. but um, but but I'm, I'm talking about myself, not you. Hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I I was kind of like at one point thinking recently, I, I should have a. I've got all these great short stories. They kind of all like vanished. They they were all published, hmm. and now they're not published, and. Uh, so I thought, well, no, I, I think I'll look at, I, I had done this business book, self-published that on Amazon and it, it had done fairly well. And I thought, well, I should do that with my short stories. So I did. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll go on some podcasts or something and talk about it. And you had been inviting me on Geek's Guide for quite a while. And I always enjoyed coming on here and talking about things, but I knew that uh, I, I didn't want to impose. So I didn't even mention it to you. I, I don't, I don't think I, I think I might have said like, "Oh, I've got a short story collection out," but I don't. I didn't say like, yeah. "Oh, gee, well, can, well, can I be on Geek's Guide?" You asked me for feedback on the cover design. I think that was the first thing I, I saw. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, so yeah, I wasn't trying to drop hints or anything. I just <laughs> I knew you. I knew you have uh, you know you have really good insights into things, and um, so in, especially when it comes to science fiction and fantasy. So I did seek your opinion. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you were like, hey, you want to come on Geek's Guide and talk about your collection? <laughs> and I was just blown away because I was like, that is like a dream come true. I would love to do that. And then we went, you know, we, we talked about the collection and I thought, well, that'll, you know, maybe I'll sell 10 or 15 copies or something. And uh, and lo and behold, like the next day after it came out, after the episode aired, it, I was just blasted with sales it was i don't do you remember how many sales yeah. like I, I sent you an email and i was like holy cow dave look at this yeah you remember well, how many it, it was yeah well i have it here because i wrote about it in the book but uh it was 200 within the first 24 hours and then 400 wow. within the next two weeks Ugh, and it, and and 600 within i don't know like a month or two yeah i don't know so what it, was it is at, now it's probably higher than that now but yeah, it probably is because I sell, like you said in the in the uh, I think it was the afterward to the book. Uh, I sell one or two copies a day still, hmm. um, but and it's all like you said, it's all from the uh, from the Geek's Guide appearance because I haven't promoted it whatsoever in any hmm. way. So yeah, I was really great. I was so grateful that you asked me to be on to talk about it, and then I was blown away by how many copies sold. And uh, and I was really glad when you said you were going to do a collection of your own after that. That okay, great, because you spent so much blood, sweat, and tears building this. What I told you was, uh, it's it's the biggest science fiction and fantasy 
platform mm. in the world, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but, it, but as far as like trying to sell short fiction, I don't think there's anything bigger than this in the world. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was really glad to see you, that you, you coming out with a collection. Yeah. And I was really happy to, I mean, you've, you've gotten like 25 reviews on Amazon and stuff. And so it was just like cool to see, you know, that I could single-handedly basically, <laughs> you know, take a short story collection and, and I, I really, I deserve all the credit pretty much for yeah, the book. Yeah, I would yeah. Say. Oh, you, <laughs> you really do. I mean, you, that's really where I'm going with this. But uh, You're but joking, no, but you. But there's no way I would have sold even, I don't know, like five copies. My, my mom is dead, so she wouldn't have bought one. But uh, but no, I, I don't think I would have sold anything without Geek's Guide for sure. Yeah, so it's just like that's kind of a dream come true for me that I could, you know, like take take a book and make it just sort of like a, a success kind of all all by all on its own. So, so that's been really cool. And so, yeah, and then I, I know I was totally flabbergasted that that happened. Like, like, like you, Tom, I thought, oh, maybe he'll sell 20 or 25 copies, maybe like best case scenario, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that's all been cool. And so then, yeah, and, and really, you know, my parents were like, OK, you have to do a collection now, you know. And I was like, you know, I just, I don't have time. You know, I do this podcast every week. I have no time to do anything. Uh, but I was like, all right, well, I'll take December off. I took five weeks off. That was supposed to be my vacation. I basically mm-hmm. spent the whole time working on this book, which maybe I can go into in a bit how, how time consuming it, how much more time consuming mm-hmm. than I expected it turned out to be, even with various people spending a lot of time helping me out with it too. Uh, but I want to get Zach in here too. So Zach kind of just, you've seen this this final draft and everything kind of what just overall what's your reaction to this? Yeah. Well, uh, overall, obviously super impressed. Um, and you had, uh, invited me on and I had remembered, you know, I, I thought, you know, I'd read maybe three, um, of these stories, but it turns out like, I think I, I'd actually read more than maybe more than half a dozen of these. And, I was getting this like this super weird like nostalgia because you know I had read a lot of these uh John Joseph Adams anthologies, you know, I don't know, a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um and also yeah, yeah, year 1, maybe 2 of Lightspeed I was reading back then and I mean I don't read nearly as many short stories as I used to. So this was like I was getting like this weird nostalgia and I was like, oh man, this is like, I could tell where I was. Like you get those, like these weird memories of like, oh my God, like I remember reading this in my old apartment, like it living in San Antonio, like right after I graduated college or maybe I was still in college reading, um, uh, the skull faced boy in the back of, uh, the living dead, the, that first one. Um, and then I don't think I ever read that sequel, but then, you know, I read it uh, for the show. And yeah, it's, it's just, so I, I had a, an interesting reaction to it. I obviously, uh, I'm very excited about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I had familiarity with the, quite a few of these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's obviously, it's really nostalgic for me too, going back to these stories, because as I said, you know, I was 21 or so when I wrote the, the oldest of them. And then also um, one thing that's really cool about this book is that a lot of these stories were published in magazines uh, and websites and stuff that did really nice art for the stories. And so I was able to get permission. Thank, you know, thankfully from all 13 artists that I reached mm-hmm. out to, I was able to get permission to include the art in the book. So this book has just amazing art. I can't think of any short story collection that has like art like this. Um, 
I'll go Except along maybe with it's, that. Maybe. It's it's it's, hmm. it's stunning. It's it's. I was I was so I hadn't seen much much of the art, or I think I read a lot of these. You just like emailed them to me or whatever, but um, but I, I was blown away by the art. I was just like so uh, impressed. It's it, you're right. It's so cool to have a short story collection have art like this in it. Yeah, and it always just because I, you know, I, I, you know, when I was a kid, I was really into writing and I was really into drawing, and you know, I sort of ha- at one point I had to choose, you know, and I went with writing. Um, but I've always really been into drawing and art and and stuff, and I always just was so excited when when they would do this artwork for my stories, and especially like magazines like Realms of Fantasy that would do just these beautiful full color, full page illustrations for the stories, and I just I always loved those so much, and then I was always really surprised that other writers, you know, they would have stuff come out in realms of fantasy and they wouldn't like put it, put the art up on their website or anything, you know? And, and I, I feel like I, I, like I'm saying, I can't even like think of any other short story collection like this, where there's, you know, where they've taken the art from all the different stories, from all the magazines and websites and stuff over the years and put them all together with the stories in the book. Like if anyone, anyone can think of an example, um, but it just surprises me more people don't do that. Cause yeah, it's already there. Well, um, you know, I mean, I think uh, part of the issue with that is probably just like sort of uh, when you have when it's a publisher doing it, uh, they're thinking like, oh, well, the rights are going to be hard to wrangle or or like, you know, the artist is going to ask for X amount of money that we don't want to spend. And uh, like if they're if they're uh, an established publisher, even if they're small, they don't want to like ask for it for free or anything. Whereas like if you're just a guy who's self-publishing a collection and it's like they did this art for these stories already maybe they would be more willing to just like let you use it for you know this collection uh, i mean you know maybe you'll end up selling a ton of copies and they'll be like oh i wish i'd asked for some money for that but i mean i don't know if you <laughs> could pay the money but um but uh but yeah anyway that, that's that's what my thought is is um you know logistically it, it, it's another layer of complexity to a book no, all the all I all the yeah. artists um said go ahead. I didn't I didn't pay anyone anything. I mean, if the book right. is yeah, it's, if it's like a huge success, maybe I'll come back to them and hmm. be like, hey, I'll you know spread the wealth around. But here's um, a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> well, because this is this this is the thing is that short story collections usually don't sell very well, and so as I I sort of talk about this um in the afterward a little bit, but most short story collections, you know, if they're from a big publisher, the big publisher is just kind of doing it usually just to keep the author happy and hope hope that their next novel, you know, makes makes the real money, um, or they'll come out from small presses, but then small presses obviously don't have budgets for like art and cover art and and all that kind of stuff, and like and if yeah, if I had to. And, and all this art, as I said, it already existed. But if I had had to commission all this stuff, you know, like if it didn't already exist, I mean, it would have cost somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, 7000 to $10,000, you know, yeah. to to hire all the artists to do all this art. So so I was just really, really lucky that I was I, that all these stories had been published in, in so many magazines where, you know, they had professional um, like art direction and, you know, reached out to professional artists. And yeah, so I. I'm just so happy and especially like how the layout was done with, you know, like the arts, like full page in this book and full, you know, some of them are two page spreads and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually kind of reminiscent of like when it appeared, when something appeared in realms of fantasy or something like that's how the front, you know, the the first page of a lot of the stories in, in realms of fantasy would look. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I like that. 
Um, you know, before we get too far afield from the comments about nostalgia, uh, I, I was going to say also, it's interesting that Zach said that because, I mean, a lot of the stories themselves are also nostalgic for like you as the author, right? Because, I mean, there are stories like, you know, Red Road, which is, you know, uh, sort of related to, uh, you know, certain books that you read when you were younger and then, you know, like Transformations, Cats and Victory, you know, I mean, you know, probably plenty of them in here, but I mean, I, that, that is a consistent theme in, in uh, a lot of your work where, you know, you, you're sort of, um, uh, paying homage to, you know, something that you loved when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about that, that in the introduction. So hopefully people read that before they get to the stories and then it explains like what, mm-hmm. what these things are all, uh, references to. And then also some of them were written for theme anthologies, like, mm-hmm. like John had a, an anthology set in the Edgar Rice Burroughs Parzoom world. So I wanted to make sure somewhere it explains that before people got to the story in case they weren't familiar with that world. But yeah, yeah, a lot of them. I mean, I just, when I was a kid, I just loved Saturday morning cartoons. Like you, like you mentioned, like um, Thundercats and uh, Transformers and, and stuff like that. And the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. And so I actually, I used to go down to the basement where our TV was, uh, you, know, I, you, you know, most days my parents had to drag me out of bed to go to <laughs> school and stuff. But then on Saturdays, I would wake up at like 4.30 in the morning and I would go down to the basement, uh, you know, to get ready for the cartoons. And back then there was nothing on that early in the morning. It was just a test pattern. You know, there's just these green or there's these multicolored stripes. And so I would just turn that on. I would just stare at the test pattern for hours waiting for the cartoons to come on. So that's what happened to you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, so a bunch of these stories, yeah, are sort of riffs on on sort of my feelings about about some of those things that I loved so much. Um, I love the Transformers one, by the way. I'd never read that Transformations. I I had never didn't know you wrote that. And then when you when you said it was like based on uh, based on Transformers, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's clear. But but reading it was so much fun because it, that did give me a lot of nostalgia for watching Transformers. Not when I was a kid because I was kind of like a uh, a bit older than you, but I was kind of a little bit warped as well. So I'd be like, you know, 17 years old and being like, I'm watching Transformers. I hope nobody catches me. But um, but no, it was so much fun reading it. And you had such a cool twist on it, which is kind of one of the things I hope we get into that, um, you know, I think I come up with a lot of cool ideas for short stories, but I don't really know what to do with them. But you when you come up with a cool idea for a short story, you really spend so much uh, head scratching time figuring out like okay this is a cool idea but how do I make it into a really cool short story so so such a cool twist on the uh, on the whole Transformers show um, I, w- I won't dig into it too much right now but but I just loved how how you thought through like how would this be a really fun fascinating story yeah well I, th- I think we could say I mean the basic premise is it's like what if you were friends with a Transformer as a kid and then as you grow up like what happened? Like how does that relationship or that you know that dynamic? How does that change at the different I mean, stages of your life? What so. I what I like about it is like it's this more mature take on like those the the kind of innocent times of like those innocent cartoons and the same thing with Cats and Victory, which I didn't get when I first read it that it was like Thundercats. Hmm. I was thinking more along the lines of like planet of the apes that's kind of yeah, like well, there's the a huge out. there's a huge planet of the apes influence as well yeah um but but yeah like those kind of those stories i mean we we recently watched like all that he-man stuff and mm-hmm. you know yeah. it it's kind of missing 
a bit of humanity to it or like a bit of mature humanity to it. And so that's what I really <laughs> like about these stories is that you're still getting like the, those fun, like all of the building blocks that are really fun about those Saturday morning cartoons. But then like the maturity of like, and I'm not saying like maturity, like the Transformers 2007 movie was like, not <laughs> like that. You know, it's, it's more, it's, there's, there's more meat to it. It's, you know, you're, you're dealing with, actual themes instead of you're, just like, yeah, you're right. digging into the existential side of it like I, I loved how it was like uh you know what it was all about the transformer being able to transform from a vehicle into a robot but then it was it was also about the uh the kid how he goes through these transformations this big transformation in his life and i loved how you how you kind of put that theme in there it made it such a such a rich story yeah, yeah, thanks. And I also I just want to mention too the um that each story has an author's note. And mm-hmm. part of the reason this book took so long to put together is because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll just write a two or three page author's note for each story. Mm-hmm. Not really thinking <laughs> like, oh, when you do that for 20 stories, that's a lot of writing, you know. So it's it's like right. eighteen thousand words or something of um, you know, commentary that was just yeah. written specifically for this book. And um, you know, Zach was just mentioning the cats and victory story, and I'm I'm particularly proud of the author's note for that hmm. story i just think it's so funny <laughs> and i've just i've just been going around just reading it to people <laughs> oh uh, my gosh that was that was my i wrote that down the uh, uh you were glad that it wasn't consigned to the litter box of history yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that, that was hilarious I, I have to say dave i'm a little disappointed that the art you featured was that amazing piece that is in there instead of uh the illustration that you did for it as a child uh that you know was your initial basis for this story yeah so um i guess i'll explain if you haven't read the the book is that so cats and victory was a series of picture books that i did when i was like literally like three or four or something you know before wow. when i was in pre preschool and um and and people would say, and it was just, you know, it's like, it was very influenced by Saturday morning cartoons. And it's just like awesome cats, because I'm more of a cat person. It was just like awesome cats killing stupid dogs. <laughs> and um, and so and so I went so so I went back to it as an adult, you know, like 30 years later, and I was looking at it and I was like, oh my God, this is so like such a horrible message, such a horrible subtext here. You know, why did I have, why, you know, why was I writing this kind of stuff? And um, it was because obviously I was thinking like, oh, it was the influence of Thundercats because that's all about like beautiful cats killing or you know, fighting like pathetic frogs and jackals and stuff like that. <laughs> and so, so I kind of re reconfigured that so that the, the, the cat type characters are, are sort of these religious fanatics bent on uh, mm-hmm. eradicating all the other species. And it's a post-apocalyptic sort of thing. Um, but also the other funny thing is that I, when I was a kid, I would make these cats and victory, what like picture books sort of, and then, um, I would make action figures and sell them to my friends at, in daycare. And, uh, and it, it eventually came out that the, uh, that some kids were skipping lunch and they were spending their lunch money on my action figures. And so then the hmm. school shut me down and they said I wasn't allowed to sell stuff in school anymore. So, so all that stuff's yeah. in that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I love that story. That's I, I can't. I'm blanking on the name, but there's a uh, there's a female author from like the 1950s or something who wrote all these Henry. What is it, Henry? I want to say Henry Huxley or something like that. Oh yeah, that's not it. Um, but anyway, he he's always getting into scrapes like that where he figures out some way to make money, and that's exactly <laughs> something he would have done. Henry Huggins, that's exactly something he he would have done. Uh, 
is like you know make up a cartoon and sell it to his friends and then get busted and get told like you can't do this anymore you're taking all the kids lunch money but i think it's cool that you did it that you even back then you were like interested in entertaining other other people uh with with like things that you create that's that's just so cool yeah well and and i mean self-publishing that kind of ties into self-publishing this book because i was thinking like how perfectly situated i am to self-publish this book i made a little list here but it's like you think about all the things that you would want to publish her for and i kind of like don't need them at this point just given my skill set and my um like platform and everything um but it's like you know i mean one of the biggest reasons you would want to publish her is just uh you know that people are like oh if the author just self-published this like maybe how do I know it's any good? Maybe the author thinks that's good, but like who who else? Nobody else is, you know, given this a vote of confidence. Um, but this is since this is a short story collection and the stories were all published in all these different magazines and anthologies and stuff, I counted up that there are at least 23 different editors who of their own free will chose to <laughs> include these stories in their magazines and anthologies. So, you know, if you if you are concerned <laughs> to, like did, did other people like these stories, like like mm-hmm. definitely that's that's the case um yeah it's interesting you say that because yeah like i mean totally that that makes sense and 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 it's funny because i think a lot of people um they always really want an original story or several original stories in a collection when a collection comes out and i'm like i don't want i don't want the original stories in there like this is a collection of stuff that like publishes somewhere else you know um and it's like uh even before i became an editor it's like i was sort of uh uh, or well, when I was in the, when I was an editorial assistant, I should say I was working in editorial, but I wasn't an actual editor. You know, um, you know, I um, I would I would see those stories, and I and I ha- I kind of had this vibe like, well, I mean, they couldn't sell that story anywhere else, right? That's why they put it in their collection, by the, <laughs> you know, as an original. I was like, hey, I, I want some I want some editorial uh, stamp of approvals in there, you know. I was going to ask if you if you wanted to include any originals. I mean, you had mentioned how many stories that you had written that, you know, that just got rejections. So that's, I mean, were there any ones where you're like, ah, I really just want to throw this in here, but then decided not to for, well, uh, well, I figured like, well, you so this book basic almost collects all my stuff that I published as a, like in college and later. Um, and that added up to, you know, 300 and like over 350 pages. And I'm like, that's that's long enough for a short story collection, you know, so I didn't want to like make it any longer than that. But yeah, I mean, I have so much stuff that I because I was writing, you know, from the time I was a real little kid. And, um, you know, I had written probably like 50 or something stories even before I graduated from high school. So I have wow. this massive backlog of of material and most of like the, the stuff from high school, like um, a lot of it, I wouldn't I probably would publish at this point. But a lot of it, I think, is really good. But I was, I was kind of thinking, well, if this let's, let's, let's put out this book and this will be like, you know, kind of like all the published stuff, you know, you can have it all in one place. And then if people like this, then, I mean, I, I, I would try to maybe put together another book where it's like the stuff I published in high school, a lot of which I think is really, really pretty good. And then stuff that I wrote later that didn't get published, but easily could have, like there was one story I was just, you know, in the process of putting together this book, I was looking through all my rejection letters and there was one story where, and I'd forgotten this about this, but I had sent it to this big magazine and the editor had said, like, oh, I want to buy this. I just need to run it by the the owner of the magazine. Hmm. And um, and it almost it sounded like just, you know, a formality to me. I, I thought I had told the story, but then he came back and said, like, oh, no, the the, uh, the owner doesn't want to include it. But it's like, OK, well, that's a story that at least, you know, one professional editor thought was good enough to put in the magazine. So it's certainly good enough to put in my 
you know, sort of back up my second string uh, mm -hmm. collection. Um, so yeah, that's should, what I would call. You should call it second string stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, um, Jor Lansdale has one called Bumper Crop, which I thought was funny, <laughs> and he did that one after he did like high. I, it was high cotton, and that I think that was it was high cotton, and that was like his best stories. And then he did Bumper Crop which I actually like more than high cotton. And that's just like the leftovers. <laughs> and it's like, it's like not nearly as thick, but you know, I like, uh, you know, Tobias Bacall had a collection. I forget the title of it, but it's like the premise is it's all, all these stories that didn't sell. And then he has a little essay about like why this didn't sell and what he's learned subsequently, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's intended for writers to sort of help mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. understand how to make your writing more publishable. Um. So, so yeah, so I mean, definitely there will be another collection. If this does well, you know, I could, I could definitely put together one, another collection that's pretty much, I think, you know, pretty close to as good as this one. Um, or at least like if you liked this one, you know, mm. you, you would probably like the other one. Um, I would like to chime in on the quality of the stories because, yeah, if yeah. I may, mm -hmm. because I think, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of thought of you as a, as a writer who, and we, we were at Clarion together and, and we both went to Colby college, although not at the same time. Um, but then we hung out a lot after when we were both still trying to kind of break in and make, and make sales. We, we kind of made a point, even though you lived in New York and I lived in Maine, mm. we made a point to hang out once in a while and visit each other. Um, and I've always kind of thought of you as a really hardworking writer who just doesn't let anything see the light of day unless it's like really awesome, which I think also makes you less prolific because you're real, you're, you have such a high standard that like you're not going to let anything out versus me where I'm like, that's <laughs> good enough. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to kick that out the door. And which is why people like, you know, I saw Fred Ollinger, another, uh, another Clarion student at the same time as us. I saw him comment recently on one of your posts, I think about this book, where his only comment was something like, you're such an exceptional writer. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. And, and Fred is such a harsh critic. He's so like, I remember, I don't think he liked hardly anything in that Clarion class. Hmm. Of, out of the 19 or whatever students that were there, he just like hammered on everything except your hmm. stuff. And he's still to this day, like for him to like come back and comment like, you know, year, decades later, yeah, you're such an exceptional writer. And I'm like, that's, that's just because you spend so much time like thinking. And I, and I remember you telling me this, like, well, if you, if you can't, if you're not satisfied with the story you're writing, it's probably because you just haven't thought it through enough. And, um, and you really do spend a lot of work thinking things through. And I, I think it does make you slightly less prolific, although you are more prolific than I am, but, <laughs> but it makes you slightly less prolific than I would want. Just because, but it's like a trade-off, right? It's like, well, your stories are so good, I want more of them. But then it's like, well, you can't have more because if, if you just were like churning these out all the time, they wouldn't be as good. So I, I just wanted to throw that in. If anybody's listening is wondering, you know, like about the quality of the stories or whatever, it's exceptional. He, he, yeah. Everyone is so well thought through and everyone has, is so full of surprises and uh, and just treats the subject matter as well as it could possibly be treated. So. Well, and, you know, I mean, um, like Dave was saying, I mean, all of these stories sold to professional editors. And, and I mean, and what I, I think I was just counting. I think I published originally like six of them, at least six of them. Maybe I'm missing one. And then I reprinted several of the other ones. Uh, so, wow. you know, obviously, um, you know, 
like I have, I have, I have, uh, you know, edited a lot of anthologies. I've had Lightspeed going for, you know, 10 plus years and, um, you know, all kinds of things like that. And so it's like, you know, if you trust my editorial opinion on, on all of that stuff, then, you know, you should trust that Dave is a good writer. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and John was such a big, um, you know, part of my life and my career, as I say, that I actually included a little like second introduction just about how mm. I met John. Yeah. So, so John, what was your, uh, was your take on that? Oh, I mean, that, I mean, that was just really, uh, like I, that was very touching, you know, and, and, and like, you know, the, the book is partially dedicated to me as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just nice that, uh, that, that, that sort of, uh, that our sort of, um, you know, friendship, uh, um, you know, made such a big impact on your life, it, you know, not just as a friend, but also, uh, as a writer. Um, so I mean, yeah, and it was really cool to, to sort of revisit that through your, uh, you know, yeah. your little introduction. Well, and, and I just figured like you show up, your name pops up in so many of the, author's notes for the different stories <laughs> yeah it's like like people are going to be like wait who who is the you know like i was, I was <laughs> like i have to just explain like how we met so that people are like right like they know who, who i'm talking about like that this <laughs> right. guy shows up over and over and over again and right yeah i remember when we first met at the it was at the sifwa um meet and greet thing or the middle and swell as they called it um and like you introduced yourself to me and I was, and I had like, I had just seen your story and weird tales come out and I'm like, Oh, I thought your name was Donald. And then you were like, Oh yeah, they got my name wrong in the magazine. Uh, <laughs> <I remember that. laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that always stuck with me because I was like, Oh <laughs> you yeah, know, pretty, pretty much ever like a lot of my early pro sales, like they got either my name or the title of the story wrong. Oh, Some, like either in the table of contents or in the, like on the actual story. Right. Um, it was just over and over again. And that's another thing. Maybe I'll go back here to my list of like why I, I, I'm in a good position to self-publish mm-hmm. these things is that I'm super detail-oriented. And so mm-hmm. I don't really need a copy editor because like mm-hmm. I 100% guarantee you that this book has fewer typos than your average <laughs> book from a major publisher. Yeah, um, I haven't found any. And, and I think I read one of the slightly earlier drafts from like a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm yeah so like yeah like they're total totally the copies clean oh i have um thanks to john i have professional experience writing book jacket copies so <laughs> yeah, yeah. i can do that um well and also the, the author notes too like you uh you you wrote the author notes for some of my uh anthologies yeah yeah uh, go ahead Zach. So, so for for this like the amount of editing i mean you seem like you were just completely slammed for oh and, and you said you took off uh, mm-hmm. you know, over a month. So I, um, I know that these are, these were already edited, but were you, and that you had to write about 18,000 words or, uh, or however many yeah, words yeah. that you wrote for the, the notes and the intro, the, the two intros. Um, I'm wondering, did you, did you do any other edits? Like other than, well, you would have to edit those notes, but then like, Aside from like line edits, did you do anything kind of substantial to these stories? Did you feel like these these are like uh, some of them over a decade old, right? Were you yeah. like uh, I want to do more than just a line? Uh, yeah, a line no, I I, I sort of like revised all the stories. Like I didn't, um, so I spent a couple of weeks doing that. Yeah, so a lot of I, I reworked a lot of the sentences and you know word choices and um, punctuation and stuff like that. I tried not to, I tried to like keep the editing light enough that if you just like read, read it one, you you read the old one and then the new one, mm-hmm. you wouldn't consciously notice any mm-hmm. differences, you know, like to not completely rewrite any of the things. Cause I do want them 
you know, they are like, I want you to be like, oh, this is something I wrote when I was, yeah. you know, 21 and you can see what it's like or whatever. But the the most significant, I mean, but it was, it was hard. Cause like, yeah, some of the, like the biggest, um, the biggest one I had issues with was the second rat because I wrote it when I was 21 and it concerns a guy who's sort of goes forward and backward through time. And so he ages to be 34 and then it goes back again and so on. And so there's just a lot of stuff about adult life that I just hmm. didn't know when I was 21 and arguably don't know now, but I know, <laughs> know more. Maybe um, he was a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that one was the one I was like, you know, I wanted to change the most. And I don't, but I don't always thought of that as one of my best, my best stories. So I didn't want to mess around with it too much, but um, I, I definitely, yeah, somebody- I, that's, that's so funny that you say that story because like, while I was reading that, you know, I, I edited, time time travel tales and if i had known if i had read this story i would have reached out to you and been like can i get this in time travel tales because that story is it's awesome you know it's that it's like everything that i like in a time travel story um so uh yeah i mean that's a big surprise that that's one that you felt like that you needed to well maybe you fixed all the problems that because i didn't I certainly, I wasn't concentrating on the things like, I mean, it was more of a human story. Like he's thinking about his, you know, his kid and, you know. uh, Yeah, it wasn't like the the, the plot is great. I mean, it was more stuff like there was like one scene where it just like went back and forth between referring to something as a hotel room in an apartment. Mm -hmm. And I think when I was in college, the distinction was a little (laughs) bit like vague to me. Um, But now having, having lived in, uh, lived in a lot of apartments i can uh, i'm like no this is not a apartment this is a hotel room hmm. um and then the other thing is with this the story of the prize um i can't go into it too much without spoilers but um there's like a character who shows up at the end who um it's and it's and i was like why doesn't this this character should show up at the beginning to give it a give it some symmetry and there was something else at the beginning i wanted to change too so that so i added like I took so, I took some stuff that was exposition and made a, a little scene with some dialogue, and it's only like I don't know five or six lines probably, but that's probably the biggest change I made to any of the stories that I can think of. Um, but yeah, so let's see. Have I finished my whole list here? Let's see. Oh, and then I I you know I one of my big one of the big things that um held me back honestly from publishing because I I feel like I probably could have sold this to a small press you mm-hmm. know at any time in the last ten years, but one of the things that kind of held me back is that so many small press books, I just like don't like the covers at all. Mm. And I would just be mortified to <clears throat> have my book come out and have just like a cover that I didn't like. And so with this, I was able to like sort of basically design the cover myself. I mean, actually, we should talk, John, about Matthew because mm-hmm. because John recommended this. The guy who did the layout and um, cover design and everything for me was this guy, Matthew Bright, who John recommended. So do you want to just say, John, how did you... Um, how did you connect right. with Matthew in the first place? Uh, well, he um, he has a he actually has a, a a story that he wrote that was in uh, the Queers Destroy Horror special issue of Nightmare. Uh, you know, and just to give some context for that, we uh, Lightspeed did a, a thing called Women Destroy Science Fiction, which is a, was an all women special issue that was in response to somebody saying women destroy science fiction by putting their girly cooties into stories and all that. Um, you can. Look up destroysf.com if you want to see what the hell heck I'm talking about. Um, but uh, that turned into a, a long-running series. Um, and so anyway, so he had a story in there, and um, his bio said something about, you know, 
this uh, sort of graphic design work that he does. And um, so we ended up, I'm pretty sure we ended up having him work on that issue as, as a graphic designer. Cause we, um, those were some of the few uh, issues of Lightspeed that we actually released in, or Lightspeed and Nightmare uh, that we released in print. Uh, Cause normally it's just a digital magazine. Uh, so, you know, obviously we need to have people who know how to do print layout and everything and um so he uh so he started working with us with us around then and i've just used him for a bunch of different projects over the years because you know like uh, i know he does good work i know i can afford him um and um so yeah i mean that's 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 how it's yeah. been um uh, you know for for years and years and he stays uh <laughs> you know stays consistent and available so it's nice yeah and if if uh if you want to check out his website, it's uh, inkspiraldesign.co.uk. Um, but so I had this sort of specific thing I wanted for the cover. Um, I think I might have. Did I send that to you, John, and say, like, could 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 you do this? Or Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but basically, so so this, the, the collection, I felt like I had to call it Save Me, Please, and Other Stories. The only other title that I thought would work well for a collection was The Skull-Faced Boy and Other Stories. But then I felt like that sounds too much like it's all horror stories. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go with Save Me, Please, and Other Stories. So I want the cover to have something to do with Save Me, Please, which is the story sort of, not to give too much away, but kind of about a character who kind of gets trapped in a video game sort of situation. And so for years, I had this idea for an illustration for it where the main character would be kind of floating in the air. And um, with her arms kind of outstretched, and it would almost look like she was crucified or like being, um, di- you know, dissected on a table or something like that kind of pose. And then, and, and you would, she would have this sort of haunted look in her face. And then there would be like kind of lines coming out of her hands leading to a sword and a wand. And it would kind of look like a, the whole thing would kind of look like a character sheet, um, you know, for, from a, cause it's like a fantasy role playing game in the story. And so, so I was like, okay, that's, and I, I always thought like, oh, that's what I would want for the cover. Mm. And then I sit down and try to like mm-hmm. actually do that. And I was like, okay, none of this, this doesn't fit at all. Like you like, where are you going to put the title? Where are you going to put the author's name? Like it needs to be like way more compact than that. And even just like fitting in a character hold, cause I'm like, okay, it has to be a character holding a sword and a wand. And even just getting those simple things on the cover was surprisingly difficult and I actually, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I see why so many of these small press books mm-hmm. have kind of crappy covers because it's really a lot of work to get mm-hmm. something that doesn't look bad. I mean, I spent like basically an entire week, week and a half or something, just like with Matthew kind of going back and forth on on the cover, trying different things. Um, but I had made this little mock-up of what I of basically, oh, and so the idea I had was, okay, what if she has her arms crossed in front of her? And then you can kind of get the the the, the person and the sword and the wands into this computer screen. Cause I wanted to want it to be, she's on this computer screen. And, um, and we, and so we went through all these iterations and, you know, it was to the point where I was like, you know, okay, now move this down 10 pixels and make this 10% more green and all this kind of stuff. So uh, if you don't like the cover, it's totally 100% my fault. Like, you know, cause I, I micromanaged this everything <laughs> about it so much. Um, but like the thing I, I liked about it is that I wanted it to convey like that there's that the book has fantasy stories and science fiction stories mm. and horror stories and that it's kind of like fun and funny too in addition to being horrifying and so you have this you have this figure on the cover with a holding the sword and the wand and then she's on a computer screen so that kind of gives you the science fiction vibe and then there's this 
uh, sort of stylized spider web in the background. So that kind of gives you the horror vibe. And then she kind of looks, she has, is done in sort of a cartoon style. So that gives you the sort of the cartoon stuff and the the sort of fun adventure kind of stuff. So I think that like, if you, you know, I, I think the cover does a good job of conveying the, um, the, the sort of mood or the, the nature of the stories inside the book, which I think is what a good you know, cover ought to there's do. A, there's, there's one thing I want to uh, add to that that you didn't mention, surprisingly, because uh, you went into a lot of detail there. The typography <laughs> is very, very well set on, on that. Um, there are a lot of uh, professionally published books that don't have nearly that kind of craft on laying out type. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm a failed graphic design student. I'm a, I'm a I oh. dropped out of graphic design, um, but I still do a, like a lot of uh, I do lettering, um, which is not nearly as difficult as typography, like laying out a cover. But that is something that was so impressive to me. The way uh, he worked those uh, words together, save me please, and that the the different angles and how readable and how bold it is. It's just. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, you're you were okay. saying well, you're talking a lot gotta, about the illustration itself, and I was blown away I by gotta, the typography. I gotta say, Zach, that was actually that was all me, not to <laughs> brag. But um, you know, cause cause uh this happened this is all happening over Christmas. And so Matthew's like, okay, I'm going, I'm like gonna be away from my computer for the next 48 hours or something. And so I like sat there like for like four like two days straight, like doing the typography. And I have no experience <laughs> doing this, but um there was like a um one of the authors I interviewed in the last few years was Theodora Goss, and I liked the way they had done the the typography on on her novel. And so I did sort of something sort of similar to that, and I just kept messing with it and messing with it and messing with it. And I don't, I'm not that good at Photoshop, so it was like it didn't it looked it didn't look polished, but it was like exactly the thing with the you know these letters are going to get bigger and these letters are going to get smaller, and then this is going to be at an angle here. And so I sent that to to Matthew, and then he did it like real, you know, with like real. Um, fonts and stuff and he sent it back to me I was like holy shit this looks so cool I was just yeah I was just yeah. ecstatic with how the title turned out yeah it's so I was I was surprised what you did that in photoshop that that looks like it was done in illustrator uh yeah it's it's pretty well great. My, my, I, version I'm, I'm done, my version was done my version was done in gimp like and like <laughs> and I, I had and I had to learn how to do like rotate how to use the like rotate and gradient tools because I never used those before so it was a big learning experience for me, um, but yeah, I think I think the yeah the way the cover turned out, I think it's so, it's super cool and super eye catching and and like in this book, it's like such a I think and we you know I haven't seen the actual physical book yet because like I'm, we're just still doing the finalizing the layout now, but I just have to imagine this is going to be such a cool physical object. Like I think like anyone is going to want like because because it's also it's like this is my first book. It's like the first book from geeks guide press, which I guess I, I should get into in a little bit. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think it's like, it's a piece of history here. I think it's going to mm. be a super cool physical object. I can't, I can't say enough about how, how excited I am to, to hold a copy in my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, can, I, can I ask you a, a question or yeah. two about the, about the stories and, uh, yeah. and about how you, okay, thank you. So, um, so, are you a huge fan of, uh, I, I mean, I know I am, but reading this, I was struck by, I don't know. Are you a huge fan of like older science fiction, like from the fifties, sixties and seventies? I, I know you are with Amber. Um, but I'm wondering about, about other like short stories and so forth. 
Yeah. I mean, because, well, because my parents are both big science fiction fans and that's how I got into it. And so they read me, like all the stuff I read growing up was basically stuff that they passed down to me. So, yeah. And, and so that was stuff that mostly had been published in, in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s. Um <laughs> I don't think I ever knew that about you, but I, I, I am. T- I love that kind of science fiction too. But reading these stories, I was struck by how similar they are to a lot of the really like fun science fiction and fantasy stories I read um, that were written back in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Where where this stuff was like, I was like, wow, so much of this stuff is so similar to like Robert Sheckley stories or old Zelazny stories or just. The really old classic, like Ray Bradbury and and that kind of vein. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, like um, you mentioned, you know, like Roger Zelazny's Amber series is my favorite series. And I've read some of those books literally 50 times. And so that's definitely the biggest stylistic influence on me. Um, but I have also, I've always really liked short stories that are, you know, like, and I think all the stories in this book, like every scene progresses the plot, like everything has like a, you know, it's, it's always driving, as you said, towards some, you know, I always know what the ending is. And then like everything that happens almost sentence by on sentence by sentence is all like in, you know building up to the to the ending is like setting up something that needs to happen to to make the ending happen um so yeah i think it has that sort of classic you know stuff happens twilight zone you know yeah like golden age science fiction kind of thing yeah yeah it really the, does the have ontological that ontological factor yeah seem, like that's the one where i'm like ah oh, man this is the classic. Like it, I, it, I like yeah. it. It's not my favorite one, but it's like that one. And then the one, the the they go bump. I was thinking, like, is Dave like you? I know you weren't inspired by these, but like, and I know you don't even like these things. But those social deduction games, where you're, where it just ends up people like shouting in a room, like, "Hey, you're the bad guy." No, you're the bad guy, and everyone has secret roles. You know, with those two, I was feeling like that kind of like mafia. I think there's one called yeah, mafia. like mafia, it's like a card game. Where, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, it, it was like I was experiencing that. Like I was like re- in both of those and in, in different ways, kind of. Um, like in more of the but cerebral it, but it sense, also, I guess. And they go bump yeah. also reminds me of um of you know if if you watch the. If you watch the movie The Thing and then you watch like the, you know, I'm talking the one with Kurt Russell and then you watch the one from like the 1950s or whatever it is, the original The Thing where they like, it's just goofy. It's like a Frankenstein monster that's thought out of the ice. And then, and then you go back and you're like, well, what was the original? Oh, this was based on a short story. Well, what was that short story like? And then you go back and read that short story and you're like, holy cow, it's nothing like the one that they made, the movie they made in the 50s or 60s because they just couldn't do it then. It, they didn't have the special effects. But then the John Carpenter version that came out in the 80s is like really faithful to the old, old story that came out in like the, I don't know what it was, the 40s or 50s. Yeah. And, who goes uh, there? It's like 19. Hey, very good. I was, I was on the tip of my tongue. Thank you. But, but when I read They Go Bump, I was like, it's so similar to that. It's so similar to like the script of the original Alien. It's so similar to so many of those old, like, 1950s and 60s paranoia, we're afraid of the Soviet Union um, stories. And But it's so cool. And when you said in the author note that it's like you had been approached about making it into a movie by, like, some really established producer. Who was it again, Dave? Uh, well, it was um, 
it wasn't he didn't uh, approach me about making it into a movie but he judged the contest that it was one of the winners and it was andrew mason who was the executive producer of the matrix um but right, he said it, right. he called he called it a quote p- perfect piece of writing for the form for the short story form so right which i completely agree like when i read it i was just like holy cow is this cool and it's so tense and paranoid and so and it's such a mind blower like you re- it's really reminds me of one of those older pieces that one and then um the black bird is so much like i wrote one of my notes it's it's like a and i've read this i read this story at clarion but i've I've read this story many times over the years but it's just like a great sheckley story almost um then uh i'm trying to look real quick here red road that's just really that's just really cool it's more like red wall like you pointed out but save me please that's that's also kind of in many ways similar to some of that older stuff the ontological factor like zach pointed out that is like a great classic old style science fiction story. And you can really see the Amber influence in it. And uh, the second rad as well, which was that originally called I Can Rewind Time? When yeah, I, read I Can it? Rewind Life. Yeah. I Can Rewind Life. Okay. I, I thought I was going nuts. I was like, I know this wasn't called the second rat. I remember this story though. Um, they go bump, obviously. Um I guess I wanted, to, I, just, I wanted to say, Tom, that, that they go bump. If, if you, for people listening, the premise is that there's a bunch of soldiers and they're in the, they're all wearing this invisibility armor. And so they can't see, none of them can see each other. And then one of them starts becoming convinced that aliens who are also invisible are killing off his friends one by one and impersonating their, just imitating their voices and impersonating them. And yeah. so it's this really sort of paranoid kind of story. And yeah, it's definitely 100% influenced by John W. Campbell's story, Who Goes There? Oh, cool. um yeah yeah for sure yeah i, I guess some of these like I don't, i'm thinking like i didn't even put some of this stuff in the author's notes because it's like so obvious to me that it didn't even occur to me like oh people wouldn't r- realize but in a lot of the author's notes i did put like oh this is you know because because i just because i just love science fiction so much and so i just want you know a lot of these stories are like oh i love to this thing, thing so much and i want to do something you know that recalls that or like pushes that one step farther or you know at least it's going to make people that hopefully people are going to like it for the same reasons that i liked this this thing that i read when i was a kid or that i read you know as in college or or whatever Tom, you were right about to say the the prize and i was thinking that that's actually to me it felt way more like cyberpunk like it, it felt more like an 80s story um and i wanted to ask about that did you so in the in the note you said jim shooter did a treatment on that for a comic book? Yeah. For a movie. So did you get to see that treatment or did you get, did, was there any panels or any kind of like pencils or anything like that? Uh, I did have at one, I don't know if I still have it, but I did have the treatment, but it was just, it was just text. There was no, um, a concept art or anything. Oh man. That is, that is so wild. Like, I mean, I can't believe that. Like when I, when I read that, I just like, I was like, that is legendary. I mean, Jim. Yeah, Shooter, the action is amazing. Like, ro- <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I'll I just, think that would have made a great comic ex- or a great. Explain, uh, Zach, who Jim Shooter is, if people don't know. Oh, okay, so Jim Shooter was the uh, editor of Marvel after I believe it was right after Stan Lee, um, and he was uh, an editor probably from the mid seventies to the early eighties uh at marvel and he's he's he started writing comics when he was like literally like 13 years old um he's 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 a legend like a legend in uh comics fandom so oh wow uh, yeah so him having 
anything like having to, uh, you know, done a treatment on on your work is like, man, that is like completely mind blowing. And he still uh, I think he he created um, the he created some some new newer stuff as well. Once he left Marvel, he went on to uh, to make Valiant, I believe. And then I think he sold that eventually. Uh, say he doesn't he's not the publisher there anymore but uh yeah i mean he still works he's still he's still a comic guy you know it it was super cool because you know there's this thing called the phobos fiction contest and there was a woman um sandra schulberg who's a hollywood producer who kind of you know she started a company and and started the contest and so they, they were very well connected um and so the idea was kind of to you know, have this short fiction contest and then take the short stories that won and try to turn them into movies and video games and and stuff like that and so, so they go bump was one of the top three, three winning stories the first year. And uh, unfortunately, I don't, as far as I know, none of the, none of the things ever actually did get turned into a, a movie or a video game or anything, but it was really cool because yeah, the contest was judged by all these famous people and, and I got to meet a lot of them and, you know, I was like 23 or something at the time. And so it was just, uh, yeah, it was wow. just super cool. Um, um, so yeah, it, I want to get John back in here too. John, any, uh. Anything you've been dying? I mean, you've had plenty of opportunities <laughs> to talk to me over the years. But, <laughs> sure. Uh, anything you're dying to, or anything you want to say about the book, or ask me? Or uh, sure. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, we were talking about some. You know, there was some discussion of our favorites. Uh, I mean, I, I think Dave, you know that uh, the Blackbird and uh, Veil of Ignorance are are like my two favorite stories of yours. Um, and uh, like, you know, those those are both just such great stories. I mean. You know, as we've been discussing, there's a lot of stories that are just really awesome in here. But I mean, like the Blackbird and Veil of Ignorance just seem like really next level to me. Like they do exactly what I want out of, you know, science fiction and fantasy stories. Uh, you know, just like it, it, they're so complex and, and, and like well thought out and um like it's like it's like i get like a a complete emotional experience reading the thing and my mind is being um sort of every 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 brain cell is being you know sort of agitated and and, you (laughs) know in a good way um uh because it's like there's so much going on and it's like yeah i i was actually just getting chills just thinking about (laughs) some of the moments of the stories um so yeah i mean those those stories are just like you know the top tier for me Oh, those well, are yeah, two me, of my favorites also. I, I yeah, sorry. I, I meant to say that the veil of ignorance, that's that's the one where a group of friends experiment with the mind the 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 alien drug where they don't know who they are. So mm-hmm. that was the one that I meant to pair with um they go bumps. Sorry, I, I screwed that up. But yeah, mm-hmm. the the yeah, veil of ignorance, that's like sorry, that's the classic one for me where I was like, oh man, like you don't know you don't know who you are like it's so confusing mm-hmm. and to me that's that's the game where you're playing like you know mafia or, or uh <laughs> secret oh Hitler yeah okay or, or whatever okay <laughs> i can see that i i wrote a note in there that it was like that that one also is like a lost sheckley story it's <laughs> it was such a, it was so much fun i had never read that one before and it was so much fun reading it i felt like i was reading literally reading a lost sheckley story it was and it's so cool how it like starts out with something that's really a sound like philosophical idea that that you took from somewhere else and then dramatized it. I thought that was really fun. And I, and that's where I was also shocked by sort of how similar our tastes in short fiction are. When I read that, I was just like, wow, this is like, I'm jealous that I didn't write this. It's <laughs> so cool. 
Yeah, I mean, at some point, at some point after, I think it was when I reprinted Veil of Ignorance and Lightspeed, I, I had said to you, Dave, that, you know, it's like, hey, you know, could you write more stories that are like inspired by, uh, this sort of ph- philosophical concept like this? Um, yeah. and, uh, cause it was like, I love that. Uh, and, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think you talked about it in the author note, right? But, um, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Cause, uh, you know, I studied, you know, like political theory and, uh, constitutional law in college. And so, yeah, and just in one of my con law classes, you know, we read this book called Political Liberalism by John Rawls. And, and that's because he had this idea called that he called the veil of ignorance, which, which was basically like, we should think about how to make a fair society by thinking about what would rational people agree to if they didn't know who they were going to be in the society, if they didn't know, you know, if they were going to be rich or poor or male or female or whatever. Um, and so I sort of took that as a, a starting point for this, this story that goes pretty <laughs> in a pretty different direction, ultimately. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. You were saying that you built like every story you knew where it was going. And with that, it was like the things that happen in that story. It's not just the concept like it. It is. I feel like a lot of writers would have been like, all right, this is a cool concept. And then I'm done. But shit goes down in that story. I don't want to spoil. <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 fucked up. And it's like not what you you're like, oh, no, I'm like, I'm a rational person. Th- this is not what people would do. And it's like. Nah, people are people are idiots, and they would do this <laughs> shit. You know, <laughs> they would, like That's it would awesome. it actually it would go down like that after you know yeah. these last couple of years. I'm like, yeah, this 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 is how exactly yeah. this would go down. Yeah, all yeah, you but, people, but, all you people out there listening to this, you're a fucking idiot. You should buy this book. <laughs> yeah, and subscribe and like. Well, yeah. well, present company accepted, <laughs> including the listeners. They're accepted as well. It's wait, the wait, other wait. people who don't listen to this show. Let me, let me just say, though, that, I mean, because, yeah, that in, so I, I came across that idea, idea in class in 99 or 2000, probably, and then I didn't write the story until 2003. So I was thinking about it for four years or something before I wrote it. So, yeah, like, and, and that's like, like Tom was saying, you know, like, that makes you less prolific if you spend four years thinking about a story before you write it. But, you know, sometimes you just have to think about something for that long to for all the pieces to fall into place and, you know. Although actually, the yeah. and as I say in the author's note too, though, except then I came up with the new ending in one day, so <laughs> maybe I could have saved myself some time uh, somehow. But I mean that uh, that timeline sort of works for Ted Chang, right? I mean, so he yeah. he he famously sort of is a very uh, sort of ponderous writer, where you know he he likewise spends a lot of time thinking about all these stories, and and so you know his output is very low, but then um, it's like. You know, every everyone's an event when it comes out. It's like, oh yes, new Ted Chang story. You know, like that kind of thing. And so it's like, I mean, uh, you know, you're in good company. Yeah, yeah, and I and I agree with John as well, where where he says like he I didn't I didn't I missed that part in the author note apparently, but where he told you like, hey, can you write more stories that are based on philosophical concepts? Because and I agree with that. Like you you made a comment. I think you titled the podcast episode where you talked about my short story collection. You titled it The Best Science Fiction Humor is Existential. And I would argue that the best science fiction and fantasy stories are existential, that they they have to show us something deeper about ourselves. And uh it, it, and and your your stories do that. You you spend the time, like I said, with you know transformations, you're like, well, no, it's not it'd be cool to write a story about a guy who really has a friendship with a with a living car, but Let's think about like what does it mean? What is a tr- what is a transformer? Like what what does the word transform mean? And like dig deeper into like you know the guy the robot ends up saying no you're the real transformer like you're the one who's actually changing here and uh, 
that to me, it, it's so cool the way you, you take every one of your stories over into that existential realm into like, no, we're going to really examine what, what this can say about us, about the reader, which is really, it, it really makes it all like kind of pull the reader right into the story, which I, I just love. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah thank you. And I, and I mean, that's what I've always loved about science fiction is the thought experiment aspect of it, you know, that, that you enter into this space where the rules can be different. And then what can you learn? You know, what can you discover about yourself or about humanity or, or whatever about, about changing thing, uh, the changing the parameters and seeing what comes out of that. And so, yeah, so I, I think people who don't read science fiction, oftentimes they think that it's about like, it's about aliens and spaceships and stuff. And like, obviously I love aliens and spaceships, but, but the, the, the heart of it to me is the thought experiment. They're like, what if things were different? What would that mean? And what can we learn from, from seeing things from a, a different perspective? So, yeah, I totally agree with that, Tom. That's cool. Although I have to say with the skull face boy, I'm kind of like, it, I understand why it's horror because I'm like, I don't want to see stuff like that about myself, but uh, it's terrifying. It's really horrifying to think like, what if, you know, what if, what if you became a zombie, but you, some people who became zombies kept their intellect and uh, what would that, what kind of conflict would that set up and what would you choose? And uh, that, that kind of thing, you know, I understand it's horror. So it has to kind of ask questions that are maybe a little more painful or a little more, you know, horrifying, but, uh, but it works in that sense too. It, it's a very, it's a really fun story. Uh, you wrote uh, that, did I read that also at Clarion or was it short, just shortly no, after Clarion? It was after, it was a little, it was right after I graduated from college that I wrote that. Okay. So, okay. so yeah, like a year or two after Clarion. Okay. Well, am I well, like one of the characters in that story? I don't want to be like egotistical, <laughs> but it's, it sounded like you're like, oh yeah, he drives up, you know, you live in Waterville. That's your hometown. I'm like, well, that's my hometown. And, uh, <laughs> sure not but <laughs> well i was gonna say well because because colby's in waterville so i lived there for yeah, four yeah. years so uh it wasn't yeah, necessarily you, all about you tom but uh, i don't know i never thought about <laughs> that before um did you, did you make friends with anybody else from waterville though because most colby kids don't they uh they kind of yeah they no i don't think nonsense. so i don't think so so probably yeah like the idea of someone actually living in waterville i probably did have you in mind at least to some extent yeah interesting um, I, interesting yeah i never actually thought about i'll have to think about how much, how much, or how much of you is in that story? But I did want to say too that I mean the, um, you know, I have the stories separated out, and I've, you know, so it's like fantasy stories, science fiction stories, and horror stories, and I can't really think of other collections I've seen that have done that. Mm -hmm. But I really just wanted to do that mostly because, like, I've had some people have really neg strong negative reactions to some of the horror, some of the stuff mm -hmm. that happens in the horror stories. So it's like, all right, well, I'll put those in the back and they're clearly labeled horror. So, you know, it's your own fault if you go wandering back there and, you know, it's, it's not like it just pops up in story number three in yeah. the collection or something. But you know, as a reader, I appreciated that because yeah. I, I really don't like horror. Horror really terrifies me. It was supposed to, but I don't enjoy that. And uh, mostly, although I have to say the Skullface City, I didn't take that as horror. And I have to say, I love Stephen King. I don't really consider him horror. I think the first time i actually read a book by him i was like oh, that's not horror it's an adventure story hmm. um but it's kind of like the hobbit or you know lord of the rings or something but uh but set in the modern day and i felt like the skull face city also to me was not necessarily horror it was more it was a really cool twist on horror where where you had this character who's supposed to be the antagonist who when you he's actually the protagonist and when you start reading about him more and more you start you start really siding with him which was a fun experience. I, I didn't take it as like, you know, I wasn't horrified by the story. I was more 
kind of intrigued or pulled along. Uh, cool. Uh, Zach, any other questions for me? Uh, I was wondering if uh, the family tree story, I mean, that's like maybe a little bit less of like a, a thought experiment. I feel like I don't, I feel like saying like all these stories are, are necessarily thought experiments, like might be doing it a little bit of disservice. Cause there's also like, there are these, like these characters in these moments. And I'm wondering with if, like family tree was there. Cause I, I just so relate to um, getting a summon from the family and having to make <laughs> an appearance. And it's like, God, I don't want to fucking go back home to the small town of these people that I don't really like hanging around with or being around. Um, I was like wondering like, what, well, you don't, I, I mean like where, like what was the inspiration there? Did you, did you, I don't know. I just found it super uh, relatable. Yeah. Well, well, so the, the premise of the story is that there's this uh, magic tree and every time uh, a new member of the family is born, it grows a new limb for that person to live in. And then there's this rivalry between sort of the two, like sides of the family that gets increasingly like, like blood feudy kind of. And um, that's not really autobiographical at all. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an only child and I have a really good relationship with my parents. And I don't know if I mentioned, but my dad actually did the layout for this book, like before, uh, before we handed it off to, to Matthew. Um, so, so no, that's all kind of out of my imagination. I mean, um, uh but you know, like 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 we mentioned, like the Amber series, which was my favorite, which were my favorite books growing up. It's all about this feuding family, and uh, you know, the character has a nasty mother. One of the characters has a nasty mother, and stuff like that. And so, um, uh, yeah, that's that's to- that's not. I, I, I don't know if my parents are listening to this or not, but no, none of that is uh, inspired <laughs> by by my family uh, in particular. I'd like to I'd like well, to corroborate it, it, that. It felt I've, authentic. I've met <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really did. I, I thought about that too. I've met your parents uh, on a few occasions, and they're they're very good natured um, scientists. And you know, Dave, Dave, and they just have a really good relationship. And uh, and I've I often wondered reading through this this book, um, how you managed to you know being an only child, being from that dynamic, how you managed to uh, to tap into such broad dynamics between like large groups of people in some of your stories uh yeah i don't know i mean at one point i did read like a hundred memoirs to try to just understand how different sorts of people had lived and you know it's like a like it was a list you know i made and i read a hundred um to just yeah try to understand what different people's life experiences had been like and how they saw the world and stuff like that i mean i certainly had like have had lots of shitty uh, experiences with people um but just not my not my immediate family for sure um, so yeah, like, like a lot of these stories, you know, like, yeah, I definitely drew on sort of shitty experiences I had with, with other people. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, it's hard to believe that, uh, there are, there are writers who like had shitty experiences with people and then it, it turned out to, funnel <laughs> in, to be funneled into their stories, you know, like that's, that's unusual, I think. Yeah. I think I'm the first person to do that. I'm the first yeah. person to separate out the fantasy, science fiction, horror, first person yeah. to put all the yeah. illustrations in and first person to use shit experiences from yeah. my life in my fiction. So hey, it's well really done. groundbreaking, well done. groundbreaking book. 
I was going to uh, say, I, actually, I, uh, you know, I also appreciated the separation of the genres in the book just because, you know, I like to know going into, you know, the story that, oh, this is this and this is that. And, you know, maybe I sometimes I'm in the mood for one or the other. Um, and actually, I wanted to do it in Best American and, and I was overruled. So <laughs> I was like, oh, OK, I thought I was a series editor, but uh, all, all, right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, fine. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I wanted to ask I want to ask John, is, is that even common? Because I feel like this may be one of the only times I've seen that. I don't recall uh, a collection or an anthology separated like that. Yeah, it's, it's not too common. Um, I mean, I can't say that I've never seen it, but I can't think of an example off the top of my head where I did. Um, I mean, there's things that do separate the genres like that. Like, you know, for instance, Lightspeed uh, has, you know, stories that they, that we flag as, science fiction versus fantasy so it's it's not like it's not labeled it is um but uh and then like the ebook edition it's like we do have it you know like here's all the science fiction stories here's all the fantasy stories but i mean in terms of collections or anthologies um you know somebody probably did it somewhere but i can't think of what it is um if anything i would think it might have been some other year's best that may have done it at some point um i mean um rich horton for a while had a, a, a series with uh, prime books that was his his year's best and and it was literally like two different books so it, you know and they were part of the same overall series so it was like kind of like he was separating them you know just that it's like yeah put it in different books mm-hmm. um all right so yeah. we're, we're almost out of time so yeah. i want to get get into things quickly and so one is i just want to tell this funny story because as i was coming up with the the idea for this panel uh and i was talking to my my girlfriend and this is actually on the trip I, we drove to santa fe and which is where i proposed to her uh, cause that was where Rogers last knew lived. And so I like proposed to her in this like mountain where it's like one of the locations from the Amber books. Um, but so anyway, so, so it was, but it was on, it was on that trip. And, um, and so I was, I was talking about my idea for this episode 500. And so the in- initial idea was I was just going to have one person interview me, um, before I had the idea to make it more of like a book party kind of thing <laughs> like this. But so, so stuff, my girlfriend, she was like, so who are you thinking about having interview you? And I said, well, I was thinking either you, or Zach Chapman. And she says, Oh, you should get Zach. He loves you. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Was that before or after you proposed? I, I feel like, you're like maybe, maybe I gave the ring to the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> It was, but it was, it was, yeah, it was on that trip where I proposed to her. So it was just really funny. Um, but, um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that, but then, um, before we run out of time, I also want to talk about, uh, Geek's Guide Press. Mm. So as I said, this is the first book from Geek's Guide Press, which is like, it's just me, you know, at the (laughs) moment, but, um, you know, like, like I was saying, like when I saw how well, um, Tom's book did, I was like, oh, well, if, if my book did as well, that would make enough money that I could, you know, as I said, put out another book or two books or something, and so, yeah, so I, I might do another collection of my own work, but then I also want to um, put out books by like some of the regulars on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And I figure that can be like the, um, you know, sort of the, the brand of Geek's Guide Press or sort of the, um, you know, what, what would make it a viable business proposition is if there's this built-in audience of people who are like, oh, I know all these people from the podcast and I want to read what kind of fiction they write. And so, so the other idea, like if this is successful that I had in mind was to maybe do like a Geek's Guide anthology where it's like all the people who have appeared the most on the show. And then you would have like maybe their best story or, you know, like, like that they would, they would select their best story or something. Cool. And and then those would all be in the book. And then I thought like, because I had so much fun doing like the art and cover design mm-hmm. and stuff for this, 
was, I was trying to think of like something that would make it stand out. We would maybe have like, like, yeah, like little essays from the contributors, like funny stories about like experiences that they've had at conventions or like on the show or like interacting with authors or things like that. And then also I thought it would be really cool to have like pages throughout the books where there's like caricatures of the, <laughs> of the authors. So, you know, there would be like five people all like, you know, and it's like done in sort of like a Star Trek kind of milieu oh, cool. or something. And then like, so if say if, if there were 20 contributors, you know, there would be like four pages like that throughout the book where each one had five of the people all like posing with swords or like phasers and stuff like that. I think that would be really cool. Mm, nice. Um, and obviously I would have to make a certain amount of money to mm-hmm. like <clears throat> to, to hire someone to do all that. But um, I don't know. Those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. And I just feel like, like, you know, like John and I, like, I, I think like, if you listen to this show, I think you, like, I think we have, you know, we know a lot about science fiction and we know a lot of cool people and I think we have good taste and everything. And so, you know, if you want us to be in a position where we're <laughs> like calling the shots, because like so many things, you know, obviously John publishes a lot of books, but so many times, you know, I would um, send John something that I read and be like, uh, oh, this should be published, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I want to, I wanted to publish that, but like, you know, the publisher didn't want to do it. And just like, if we could be in a position where like, we're the ones making those decisions. Cause, cause I think we're the, you know, like we know the science fiction, the best, you know, like uh, I just think that would be really cool. So if you like, you know, if that sounds good to you, if you want us to have more ability to get more stuff into print, you know, buy my book and, <laughs> and you know, again, it's called save me, please. And other stories available now on amazon.com, <laughs> you know, like the more books I sell, the more I'll, you know, John and I will be able to, you know, get out, you know, to be able to make those decisions and decide, you know, what else gets published. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great idea. And, and I, I have to chime in and say, I, I don't think you'll be sorry if you buy the book. I was, um, you know, I, I haven't read a lot of short stories in the past, maybe 10 years. I've kind of been out of it. And I, I read, I have to read for work. I, I'm an editor of nonfiction. And so I have to read a lot. And so when it comes time to like relax, I don't really enjoy reading short fiction. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, I love Dave. I'm going to read this. And, you know, you can tell Steph that, by the way, if you want. <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to read this, you know, anthology. But I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. It was it was really like every story was a ton of fun. So I think if you do buy it, you're not going to be uh, you're not going to be let down at all. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. And I, I think like and I had to read this book just in the editing <laughs> process. You know, I had to re- like I read it a couple of times in one day, mm-hmm. you know, each, each each. And like I think like and that's just the way I write, I think, is that, you know, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of action. There's not really any wasted. I mean, there's never like a scene that's like you're like, what is this scene doing here? This is an advance in the story or anything like everything is pulling you through the story. And so like everything is pulling you through the whole book, I think. And so like, yeah, if that's the kind of fiction that you that set that appeals to you, you know, like every, there's like cool stuff happening, like practically on every page. Um, you know, this is, this is the book for you, I think. Hmm. Oh, and it has, uh, something, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, then pick up the freaking book because it has hmm. everything that, you know, that this podcast is about, you know, maybe you listen to this podcast because you like science fiction. You don't like fantasy. Well, it's already separated for you. You can just read the science <laughs> fiction. You can just read the horror. If you're a horror nut, or, you know, like uh, John was saying, you could skip around. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, fully endorsed. <laughs> and one of the cool things about publishing on Amazon as well is that and which is, is what Dave is doing is that uh, there was one of the one of the re- one of the listeners 
for the episode where we talked about my collection, asked Dave, you know, can I read some of the story? I don't want to like spend, you know, any money unless I know I'm going to enjoy it. Can I read some of the stories first? And so Dave asked me and I was like, well, yeah, Amazon lets you, you go to the look inside thing on Amazon, you click it, you can read like the first three mm-hmm. stories. So you can read Beauty and the Blackbird and Seven Brothers Cruel, I think probably, which mm-hmm. are all really good stories. And I, and I think that will, uh, you know, you can do that for free. So I think that will help you make up your mind. Yeah, and I mean, several of these stories, uh, you know, I published in Lightspeed. Uh, no, don't don't tell them that. They have huh. to buy the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, uh, for, uh, if they want a sample, you know, it's not all of them. They still need to buy the book if they want to read all of them. I mean, honestly, like, you know, like uh, Tom and Zach are, are, you know, giving you all the reasons you should buy it. Personally, I'm not really a fan of the author or the book. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that you really should spend your heart. No, I'm kidding, obviously. But, um, you know, uh yeah, I mean, we we've we've given you all the reasons to buy it all along, and and, and like Zach was saying, I mean, if you're a fan of Geek's Guide, you know, check it out. You got to know what this guy, where this guy came from. After all this time listening to him yammer with all these people, uh, you know, he's smart. Well, let me just, in case people didn't catch it, because I, I cut you off there, John. <laughs> that yes, a bunch of the stories you could read on Lightspeed, <laughs> yeah. for free. So, <laughs> but I I wouldn't I wouldn't say you know that I think we sort of sound like an infomercial here, <laughs> like we're like. Please buy this book. Here's another great reason. And you also get, but, uh, but I think of the reason why we're doing it though. We're, we're, we're doing this because we've known Dave for a long time. We know his fiction. We think it's awesome. We think you're going to enjoy it. And, uh, and we think, you know, obviously what a great thing if, if it did turn into like the Geek's Guide Press where suddenly there's this like anthology that, or anthology that comes out like once a year or something that Dave and, uh, and John edit would be really would be really cool. I almost swore on your show, Dave, which I think is fine, but <laughs> yeah. but I think it, I think it would be really cool. So uh definitely something worth supporting. I'll also just say like another selling point I think for if you're a writer is that like I said, there's eighteen thousand words in this book about how I came up with the ideas for these stories and like what my experiences were submitting them to magazines and getting them published and and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, like I read uh something like 50 books about how to write. And then you can actually just see like what actual like five or six pieces of advice actually turned out to be useful to me in my writing, you know, in my writing career that actually, you know, influenced how the stories came out. And you can just read this book and and find out those five or six things and uh, um, save yourself the trouble of reading, reading those 50 books like <laughs> I did. It was very insightful commentary. And I, and I, um, it made me want to write. It made me want to write fiction. I, I was reading all this stuff and I was like, oh, yeah, I should try that. That's that's <laughs> such good advice. You know, one thing. Oh, uh, so, the, the, just, the, just, just, just in terms of like uh, Dave's devotion to the craft, I, I would say, you know, like one of the things that always struck me uh, that is really impressive is how, uh, you know, you had written a story or you, or you had worked up some stories, and somebody had said that, you know, they didn't think that you were capturing women characters uh, properly, uh, and so you devoted. <laughs> a huge chunk of time to like reading all of these different memoirs and, and like, you know, by women so that you could, you know, maybe better reflect that in your fiction. And so like, I, I was real, I was always really impressed by that. Cause I was, I mean, that was a huge project. Um, I mean, assuming that you don't mind sharing that. I, yeah, yeah, I, no, I don't no, remember no. if you mentioned it in the book or not. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't, but no, yeah, I read, well, I, I mentioned that I read all the memoirs. Yeah. Like 80, of, I read 80 w- memoirs by women mm. specifically for, for that that little project yeah 
Yeah, every time um, Dave tells me how he prepares for like writing a certain type of story, it's always exhausting. I, I listen to it, I'm like, holy cow, I can't compete with it. I can never like the amount of work and thought and research you put into stuff is is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say like my my process for a lot of them is you know I would write sort of like a treatment almost you know like here's what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the story and here's like some of the best lines of dialogue and and just like keep going over that for week after week after week and like adding stuff and taking stuff out and making it better and. Um, cool. and doing draw like draw doing like drawings of the characters and hmm. stuff like that so um yeah and then like in, if, if you want to talk about how crazy i am like hmm. one of the things I, I did was just like there was a period of time where i was just copying out mm-hmm. books uh just to study how they were written and it was like long i remember that like um like james Joyce's game of thrones Ulysses. yeah game of thrones i did um you know marcel proust's swan's way i did hmm. so like you know some of the biggest you know uh kind of most densely written books but, but explain yeah. why you did that, because that sounds like, in, until you know the logic behind it, mm-hmm. it sounds kind of ridiculous, but but say why you did it. Well, because it's like, you know, if you're a painter, what they say you should mm-hmm. do is, you know, like sit in the museum and copy out the works of the great masters and see how they did it. And so I thought, you know, oh, I could do that for writing, you know, and because a lot of times when you're reading, if you're just reading a book, if the book is good, usually you're not really mm-hmm. noticing like how how long are the sentences mm-hmm. or like, where's the punctuation marks? Right. You, know, you're, you're, you fall yeah. into the world of the of the story um but if you sit there like and you spend all day like mm-hmm. copying out a chapter yeah you know then you're you're you're, you're nothing is going nothing is going by you you're right. noticing every comma every hmm. you know semicolon and everything you know yeah you know yeah, I, and it I sounded never, like such a good idea that i was like i'm gonna do it too hmm. and I, I got about two chapters into that hmm. project and i was like i i don't know i can't do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i mean i never did that but um i did uh i did have to uh transcribe some stories back in the day f- that you know, we just needed to have a digital form. And so I was taking a short story, like it was something that uh, Gordon Van Gelder needed for an anthology he was doing. And so I had to like type out this story and it was really interesting. Like, I think it was probably similar to what you were doing in that it's like, Oh wow. Like I had read this story before, but it's like having to sit there and like actually, you know, transcribe every word into this doc, this, you know, new document. It really did make you think about everything like you were saying. So yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. And, uh, yeah, again, that's another really (laughs) like very impressive thing that you did to improve the craft. So, um, kudos. (laughs) Okay. So I know John, I know John has to go and we're, we're at, we're out of time. I think, um, I think I might do another one of these sometime. Mm -hmm. If uh, if people like this, we can come back and maybe talk more about some of the stories, you know, and have maybe have a spoiler episode Mm -hmm. because people will have had time to read the book by then and stuff. Um, but thanks so much you guys for doing this. This has been super fun. And again, everyone, like, please, I love this book. I love this book so much. Please <laughs> buy it. Uh, it's called Save Me, Please, and Other Stories. And it's available right now on Amazon.com. So so everyone go check it out. Um, but we uh, we need to wrap things up there. So thank you so much to John Joseph Adams, Tom Gerentzer, and Zach Chapman. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Tom Gerentzer, and Zach Chapman for joining us on the show. And again, the book is called Save Me, Please, and Other Stories by David Bar Kirtley, and it's available now on Amazon.com. And that's Save Me, Please, with please spelled P-L-Z. I also want to thank all our patrons whose support has made it possible for us to produce 500 episodes of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. As always, you can support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. 
So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.